0: You are listening to Sermon Audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. And welcome. so excited that you're here. I am pumped to dive into this, the text today. Um, so we've been at this for five weeks now. We've been talking about this same. So my daughter just looked at me. She's like, didn't we read that last week? Yes, for the last five weeks. And so we're coming up on the end, verses 8 through 10. So grab a Bible if you have one. I'd love for you to hold the Word of God in your hand. There's also a great app that you can download on your phone called the YouVersion Bible app. I'd love for you to have that on your phone so that way when you're going throughout your day, you can pull it up and get God's Word within your heart and your mind. So Ephesians 2, uh, and I'm going to just jump right into verse 8. So in context, as we're looking at this passage of Scripture, this is a man named Paul. Paul is writing to a church that he started years before. Now, Paul was not... Uh, A a good man originally Paul actually was uh, somebody who was known to be a religious leader he was known to um, to know all of the Old Testament law and he was an expert in the law Um, and he actually in his context was seen as one of the most prestigious people of his day yet he was against Jesus and so he uh, knew the Old Testament, so that's the, the beginning part of our Bibles. He knew what it said, he knew what the prophet said, and then he saw this man come into their city and into their neighborhoods and start proclaiming that he actually was the Messiah and that ruffled Paul's feathers. And so at that time his name was Saul and so he went, started persecuting the church. So he was going into people who started professing Jesus as their Lord and Savior, started going into their homes and into their cities and pulling out these people who called themselves Christians, Christ followers. And he was either throwing them in jail or sending them to their death. And one day when he was on this road, to go to a place to pull more Christians to try to stop this wildfire spread of what was called uh, Christianity, he's met by the one who died on the cross and by the one who had been said to have rose again. Now this man meets him and says, why are you persecuting me? He says, I am real. I really truly am the Messiah. And Saul has his life drastically transformed. And so now Paul who once was against the church becomes the biggest advocate for the church and wrote a large chunk of the New Testament so that we can know who Jesus was and what he did for us. And so now Paul instead of going in and trying to stop the church actually starts going in and building the church, which is really cool. If you think about that transformation from someone who's against it to someone that now is fully for it. Like what would have had to have happened to a guy who is at the top of his game? who was known as one of the strongest, uh, most gifted religious teachers of his time to go from a place where he was like, he is not the Messiah, to no, 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 he is the Messiah. Like something drastic would have had to happen. Like he didn't just decide, oh, this is a, a PR stunt. He had to have been met with something real. And so now he's going throughout all these towns and cities telling them that there is this man who died and then rose again, and his name is Jesus. And because of that message, he didn't become more famous. In fact, he started getting thrown in jail and beaten. Like people started hurting him physically because they were like, stop doing this. So he became one of the people who were, who were being persecuted against. And so now when you start thinking about this, he is in jail. Now this is a little bit later on in his life. He's thinking about over one of these churches that he had started. And he's, he's writing these words to them, trying to help them understand this concept that they too, even if they were good people, were still dead. Dead in their trespasses and sins. But there was this man, Jesus, that lived the life that they couldn't live. Perfection. And then died a horrific death on a cross. Like it was said in the prophecies. And then three days later, rose again. That's what we celebrated a few weeks ago, Easter. The celebration of the resurrection of our king. And so now he's writing to this church, helping them remember what this good news is. That in spite of them, in spite of their sin, in spite of their wickedness, their brokenness, that Christ loved them and died for them. And that's what we're entering in today. So verse eight, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now in context, you have to read this in the whole of these verses. That's why Lauren read them a little bit ago. But just the fact that it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith means that you need to be saved. Like just if, if I said you need to, you know, you've been saved, that means at one point you weren't saved. And so there is this understanding that we all need saving. When I grew up in New York, uh, anybody here from up north somewhere? Anywhere up north. Yeah, there we go. Um, so I grew up in Long Island, New York, and we had an awesome thing called uh, Long Island uh, Jones Beach and so it's a pretty famous beach around the United States and it was beautiful It's not like our beaches here where there's like very little shoreline But like you'd have to walk almost a quarter of a mile just to get to the water and there was something that they had there that we don't really have here which were these lifeguards and so we had lifeguards, and they had these huge towers, and they had these, uh, th- those cool, like, floaty thingies. And they would stand up there, and they were always like the people that, as a kid, you would aspire to. Like, oh, I want to be a lifeguard one day. Um, and what did they do? They would mark out in the water where it was safe for you to swim. And if it wasn't safe for you to swim, they would put these big red flags and they would say, don't swim here. Why? Because there was this thing called the undertow. And the undertow would suck you out into the water. And there were a few times as a kid growing up that as I was uh, uh, body surfing or trying to surf or any of those things, that I would, I would get sucked out into these waters. And it was anytime you're sitting on the beach and you're playing a game or throwing a football and you hear the whistles blow, everybody would look up. Because someone was in need of saving. Someone was in trouble. And what we see in Scripture in context is that all are in trouble. Every single person is being sucked into this vortex of sin. And we're being sucked out to our death. But there is a Savior who is standing on the lifeguard stand, waiting and watching, ready to grab hold of us so that we are not brought to eternal damnation, death. And so he is in context saying, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You've been saved And this is not of your own doing. So sin murdered your eternity. I think we have to understand this. Sin itself murdered your eternity. What do I mean by that? There is a real place called hell, an eternal separation from God who you were created to worship and celebrate for all of eternity. And there's a real place called heaven where God exists in the fullness of who he is. And our sin separates us from God so that we will spend eternity apart from him. So sin entered into our lives and killed our ability, destroyed our ability, severed our ability to live in perfect harmony and relationship with God himself. And if there's any sin in you, this includes you. So I think in our culture today, we live in a culture of be better, try harder, right? Pull up your bootstraps get to work, white knuckle it, you can do it. That's the culture we live in and that's what a lot of um, religious teachers of our day would even say. If you can just muster up the strength from within, then you can save yourself. But what we fail to understand is that even 1% of sin in you, even if you can kill off the other 99% of sin that's in you, you still need saving. Because what is required to be in relationship with God is 100% perfection. And we can't do that on our own. And so that's bad news, (laughs) but the good news is that God gave us a solution. And so as we're sitting here and we're thinking about this, we're thinking about how we've become these master camouflagers. You know what camouflage is supposed to do? It's supposed to hide you. So that's what I've done. I've become a master camouflager. So I've taken all of my sin, all the things that um, are within me that bring me death, I've just done a really good job of hiding them. So I can stand up here, I could go throughout my life, go throughout my day, and I can act like I have it all together. We put on these masks. We could act like we have all of this spiritual fruit in our lives, and we have become these master camouflagers, people who have been able to hide behind religiosity to act like we are okay. That's what I've done. Maybe I'll just speak for myself. Everybody looks, you're just staring at me. All right, fine, you haven't done it. You're not a camouflager, I am, right? You guys are way more open than I am about your sin and where you fall short. But me, I want to put on this mask. Why? Because we want to act like we have it all together. But that's not who the church is for, and that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came for the broken. He came for the sick. He came for the hurting. He didn't come for those that had it all together, that were morally good people. He came for those that had missed the mark. So the church is not filled with super spiritual people. The church is filled with broken, hurting people. So if you're coming in here this morning and you're like, well, I feel like I'm not good enough to be here. Guess what? You're the one who's supposed to be here. If you're coming in here today and you're like, I don't need this, you better watch out. Because there is a God who loves you and wants a relationship with you, but he can't have that relationship if you think that you can save yourself. What's required of us is full surrender. So, in verses 1 through 10, we begin to see this huge theological framework. And I want to I build this out for us because this is super important to the main idea for today. Um, but there's this theological framework that Paul lays out here uh, in the book of Ephesians. He, he does this over in Galatians. He lays out this framework, and it's called the five solas. The five alones. And these five solas are things that when you're reading Scripture, you're going to see these things pop up over and over again. You see these pretty fancy words, right? You're like, I don't even, that's a different language. Yes, it's a different language. But what are these things? Well, the first one is Scripture alone. So these are the five alones. Things that we are the bedrock of our salvation, the bedrock of our faith are formed on these five, let's call them principles. Scripture alone. It's not about man's wisdom. We are so much quicker to go to Google than we are to the Bible. We are quicker to scroll through our Instagram to look for what some really motivational speaker says than what God's word says. And then we say, oh, we can't understand it. And we go, well, listen, have you ever been discipled to understand it? Have you ever spent the time to actually read this for yourself, or are you just listening to everybody else around you? There are different translations that make it a little easier to understand. There are commentaries that you have complete access through, through the internet, the thing that you go to for all your wisdom, so that you can understand it better. There are Bibles that are study Bibles that you can open up and that break down the text so you can understand it better. There's a great one, it's called the Jesus-Centered Bible. And the Jesus Center Bible points everything in Scripture to Jesus himself, Old Testament and New Testament. It's a great study Bible to have. The version Bible app, it's a great app to have. Why? Because then you can click on things and you can go to commentaries and you could look at uh, different ways and different translations of how to understand these passages better. We're so much quicker to go to the world's wisdom than we are God's word and his wisdom. And so what we're saying is, is the bedrock of our faith is Scripture alone, I love Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17 when Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God. And you're like, well, that's Paul. Paul was writing and, and he's, he well, Peter actually said that the words that Paul used were scripture. And so we have to understand that it's scripture alone that we place as the wisdom and the knowledge of our faith, our theology. And then he go, they, they go on, the five solas, and it says faith alone. Now, what is faith alone? It is nothing that we can earn. Nothing that you can do to place yourself before God and say, I am worth saving. It's by faith alone. See, we live in this culture where we want the credit, right? Anybody like, is a, is a credit monger? Someone who always wants some credit? Or are you one of those people that say, yeah, but? Right? It's by faith alone. Yeah, but I... No, no, no. It's by faith alone. By faith alone how? Through grace alone that's the third one it's nothing that we accomplish it's this uh it's not fair I deserve culture in us that makes us feel like we deserve something that we deserve some of the credit yeah but I have to I have to be the one to muster up something inside of me I have to be the one to accept it I have to be the one I have to be the one I have to be the one and we have to understand that it's by faith alone through grace alone in something now what is that something Christ alone It's a person. It's faith and grace through a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. Now, um, our culture would say, yeah, that's one of the ways. So you can can believe in Jesus and and get to heaven, but you can also do these other things. What's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. We have to remember that when Jesus walked the earth, he said something. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So if you're going to say that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what you are saying, that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. It's an absolute truth. This isn't relative. Now, if you're part of our culture, they want to say, well, how dare you say that? I'm not saying it. This is saying it. Jesus himself said it, and it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us the word of God became flesh in Jesus Christ and he dwelt among us and he said he's the only way truth in the life. So all I'm doing is repeating what he said. If I'm gonna believe in him, I have to believe he's the only way truth in life. There can't be another way if he said that that's the only way, if I'm gonna believe in him. Now, if I wanna say that there's multiple ways, then I'm not fully trusting in what he has said himself. And that's not, if that God that I believe in Could be wrong on that one thing. Couldn't he be wrong on a lot of others? So you have to wrestle with this. You have to wrestle with he's the one who said he is the only way, truth, and life. So if we think that being a good person can get us to heaven, then we're saying we don't believe that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. So it's by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, and we find that in Scripture alone. And so we can read all the history books. We can read all the wisdom, all the the, the theologians that say that there's multiple ways to God. But the question is, is what do you say? Because you're not going to be held accountable for what some person said a hundred years ago about something about religion and how there's multiple ways. You're going to be held accountable for you and what you believe and what you have said. And it is only by faith alone and grace alone that you can have salvation. So it's something that God produces in us and through us. And here's the last thing. Why is all this happening? Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Last one is all for God's glory alone. It's not for our own praise. So these five souls, they are the foundation of our faith. So ultimately, we have done nothing. Look at, look at this, verses eight and nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. A gift of God. That word gift, if you write in your Bibles, which I really would encourage you to, if you're okay with that, um, get a highlighter, get a pen, circle it. That gift of God. This is not of your own doing. This is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not standing up here on like this pedestal saying you have to believe this. I'm just repeating to you what the Bible's saying. It's saying you can't accomplish this. You can't earn this. It is by faith alone through grace alone in Christ alone. It is a gift of God not a result of works that no man may boast. Look at um, 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29. Because You have to remember again, Paul was the like the best in his field at one time, and he still fell short. That's why God saved him on the road to Damascus, right? So so here's what Paul says in his own words: God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Paul knows that he's one of those people. He chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human may boast in the presence of God. This isn't self-deprecating. Paul is not sitting here trying to say, oh, woe is me, I'm so terrible. That's not what he's doing. He's just recognizing that when he stands before a holy God, he doesn't have a light to shine. You ever think about the greatness of God? Like, He spoke, and there was a mountain. Jose, when was the last time you did that? Like, he formed every child in this room in their mother's womb. Scott, when was the last time you formed a child in somebody's womb? None of us, none of us can do the things that God can do. So when you stand in comparison to him, it's this recognizing that I might not be as good as I think I am, but it's not self-deprecating. Why? Because, because it's this glorium, glorious freedom. It's a glorious freedom to enjoy the grace of God. It's a glorious freedom to begin to forget about myself and to start thinking about him and others. It's not what Tim Keller says, it's not, thinking less of myself or thinking more of myself it's thinking of myself less that's gospel humility and so god saved you even saved you even though you didn't deserve it and then he uses this word for in verse 10 for why because and he says this we are created to bring glory to our creator look at verse 10 for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them Now, verse 10, we have to be careful because this can become a very works-based theology. That, okay, this is where it says it, Pastor. It says that you have to work. Agreed, but we have to understand the context in which this comes in. Here's what it means. I do something, and then God saves me. That's works-based theology. I do, then God saves. Versus what this passage is saying in context. God saves me, and then I do something. It's a big difference. And here's the deal, for me, I get this confused every day. So this isn't one of those things that it's like I say it, and then you're like, oh, my life has changed and then you leave here and never think that ever again. No, no like, like for real, every single day, we, we flip-flop and we think, oh, but I played a part in this, I did this, I did this. God doesn't save me because I did something. God saved me because he loved me and therefore out of a response, I do. I love what Martin Luther said about this, and, and Martin Luther was this old monk, and monks, uh, as many of you may know, uh, do a lot of religious practices. And he was a, a Catholic uh, monk at one point, and, and there were these steps that were said to have Jesus walk up them to go meet Pilate. And so there's, I think there's 28 of them, and, and what people used to do is they used to crawl up them on their hands and knees making penance for people that were dead. So in the Catholic religion, there's this place called purgatory that people that weren't good enough, there's the workspace theology, right, they weren't good enough, they, didn't, they weren't good enough to make it into heaven, so they go into this like eternal waiting room. You ever sit in the waiting room at a doctor's office? Imagine eternal waiting room, right? And you're just sitting there um, with that like elevator music playing and a cartoon that plays over and over again static, with static going on, right? Until the people on earth um, crawl up these stairs on their hands and knees praying God release them from purgatory into heaven. And so Martin Luther was doing that for his family members. And he's crawling up these stairs going, please save my uncle, my father, my sister, so that they can go from this eternal waiting room into glorious heaven with God their creator. And in the middle of him doing that, it's said that he stood up and says this, the just shall live by faith. In the middle of him doing these religious acts, he realized something is off here. Because he knew this book and he was doing these things and he's going, something's not adding up here. The religion that I have practiced my whole life is not adding up to what the Bible actually says. Have you ever gotten away with this and just read it? To hear the voice of God yourself or are you just listening to sermon after sermon after sermon to hear what other people have to say about it? Church, this is God's word to you. Open it. Read it, and if you're like, man, what this guy's saying is crazy, fine. Go pick this up. Take one of the Bibles with you that we have in the aisles. I've got some study Bibles in the back. I'll give you one to go home and read it so you can see that what I'm saying is not crazy, but it's actually what's written in God's Word. And I love what Martin Luther says about all this. He, he, he's quoted to say these two things. He says, our good works do not generate righteousness. Rather, our righteousness in Christ generates good works. But he he didn't see work as just completely, like, off in never, never land. Because then he says this, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. So we have to understand that God himself, Jesus, in flesh, said that we are a city on a hill. We are light in the darkness. We are salt on this earth. So if you're a believer, you are someone that gets to herald the good news of Jesus to every man, woman, and child. This is good news. And that is how we respond to God saving us as we go and tell other people that he has saved us. That's the work that he's, all the works that we are to do. Say your neighbor um, has surgery and their lawn hasn't been mowed in a couple of weeks. Like instead of calling the HOA on them to get them in trouble so that they'll cut their lawn, why don't you take your lawnmower over to their house and mow their lawn? that work not because you have to but because of the grace of God that he has given you a a body that can actually mow the lawn will bring light to the goodness of the gospel in this world so this is the good news so I've got an analogy because we are his workmanship that's what it says that which has been made for good works there is purpose for those who have already been saved so we're going to play a game this is participation time kids you ready we're gonna play a game. You're gonna yell out the name of the tool. Let's see who's smartest. Ready? Go. Shovel. All right, good. Now, in one word, describe what this does. Go. Dig. Dig, really? That's the word you would use? I was gonna say shovel, but okay. <laughs> I feel like they named it pretty appropriately. <laughs> Let's try it again. This is a. Shovel. And what does it do? Shovel. shovel. Okay, yeah. You're still some diggers. All right whatever let's see if we can get this one right what is this a drill anybody say a screw gun yeah okay yeah well we're gonna go with drill today is that okay that's why I put a drill bit on it but it's a screw gun too I would, I would agree with that so it's a drill what does it do there we go oh, I think we're catching on to this game you guys are really good all right last one what is this and what does it do nail nails no hammer Uh, who owns these tools? They're mine, technically, so. I do, yeah. And what's their purpose? Shovel, drill, hammer. Who do they end up glorifying? Me, in this context. Yeah. But yes, I agree with that, but. Can they work by themselves? if we are his workmanship, who do we belong to? You can say it. God. So, if we belong to God, then when I am used by God, who do I bring glory to? God. Can I work outside of God? No. Because I am his workmanship. I am useless. I am useless without Him doing a work in me. Without Him doing a work through me to bring Him glory. And I love what Paul Tripp says. He said, God is the achiever. Our calling is to be usable tools in His powerful hands. I want us to understand this because. often I think I can operate outside of God's control. And I, I, because of something called free will, I do. But imagine if this thing was just running off in my garage, just bouncing around, like out of control. Like if my lawnmower just started and went on auto control and just took off. My golf cart, you know, down the neighborhood with no driver. We could do something But it's not going to be used for what the purpose was for if the purpose that God created you and me is to bring him glory then why don't we let him take control of our lives and use us how he has designed and created us to be used for his glory so that means I'm not getting put up on a pedestal and saying look at this amazing tool when you step back from a beautiful home that has been built or a beautiful piece of furniture that's been built, do you say, wow, I bet you that screw gun was awesome? Or do you see what what was made with that screw gun? God has a purpose for each and every person in this world, and that includes you. And he wants to use you so that you can bring him glory. But it does take you laying down your life and giving him control. And I know for me, I like to be in control. But if I think about it in this context, if I'm being used outside of him, I'm really not in control. We were created to bring glory to our creator. So then what do we do? Here's the first thing. We love we need to fall in love with our Savior. And I know for a culture that is enamored by progress and performance, and a culture that has their whole life, because this was me, felt like I had done some pretty cool thing. I had a room full of little league baseball trophies, and, and I had, a, you know, back in the day, they didn't give participation ribbons, by the way. Like, you had to earn your ribbons. And I had ribbons. but I have to remember that all of that is worth nothing if I'm not falling in love with Jesus. And I know, guys, can I just speak to you for a second? Like, to say fall in love with something as a man, that sounds a little foofy. Like, oh, right? Intimacy with God. Oh, I don't know about that. What intimacy with God is, falling in love with God, is, is there's an actual interaction between us and God. And the way we can have that interaction is through this, is through the word of God and through prayer. Those are two spiritual disciplines that God has given us that are beautiful things. And so what that means is being disciplined in our lives. You, you, man, you need something to do, right? Wake up a few minutes early. Let's say 15, let's say 30. Walk over, grab a cup of coffee that you always get every morning anyway, open this up and start reading. I'd recommend starting in the book of John. It's in the New Testament, it's the story of Jesus. Open it up and start reading it for yourself take a couple notes on it. You can use your phone, you can use a pen. Oh, we we use mental notes. Great. But it's cool actually to look back and see what God's taught you. Well, I'm not good at reading. That's fine. The Bible app, you could hit the play button. Listen to it. Well, I have messy handwriting. That's fine. Use a computer. Type it out. We always have excuses. Begins to cultivate something in us and it's called love. And it's love that God has for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news. So fall in love with Jesus. The second thing is learn. We have to understand our purpose. As we're reading this, the Bible calls us to live in community with one another. What does living in community with one another look like? It looks like us getting together and talking about these things. So when I don't understand what this is saying, I can call up one of my closest friends, Ben, and say, hey man, I'm struggling with this. I'm wrestling with this. I'm gonna say, hey, you know, like, what does this mean? Or, hey man, I'm really struggling in this area of my life. Would you be praying for me today? Like, that's what living in community with one another looks like. It means grabbing coffee with one another. It means hanging out together. It means going to a community group together and talking about these things. We have community groups here at FMCC that talk about the sermons. So that's what, that's what we do is we sit down and we process this at a deeper level. Our, our community group leaders bring us deeper into these passages to talk about this more. And you're like, man, I don't understand these things that you talk about Sometimes. That's why we need you to get into a community group so you can process those things and talk about those things. And what that does is then those leaders can help share with me the things that people don't understand and then I can become a better communicator to you when I'm preaching the word and Tim can do the same. So we're a community of people growing together because we're learning what our purpose is and that's to love God, love others, and make disciples. And here's the last thing, live. We live out using our giftings. I love seeing some of um, the older generation in our congregation walk into the church building and light up when they see all the little kids that run around here. I mean, we've got a gajillion of them. And I love, because you say it to me, you come up to me and you're like, I love all these kids, and I would love for you to serve in our kids' ministry. <laughs> Unapologetically. Why? Because you love them, and you love seeing them, and they love seeing you. And how amazing would it be is if we live out what scripture says. It says, older generation, disciple the younger generation. I love what our women's ministry is doing. They started getting together outside of, not, I mean, they they talked to the elders, but like they just took it upon their own initiative to start meeting together. They did a thing called Apples of Gold and then they started doing once a month gatherings where the older generation of solid mature believers is starting to pour into the younger generation. This is beautiful. Younger generation, if you're not going to that, you need to. It is a beautiful thing when there are women in a church that want to pour into your life. So on a Sunday morning when you come in here, don't just go find somebody your own age. Walk up to somebody. John, walk up to somebody that's older than you and say, hey, what's your name? Remember his name. And if you're older, walk up to one of the younger guys in here and say, hey, what's your name? Remember his name. Remember his wife's name. Remember his kid's name. We begin to live in community with one another and we begin to learn what it means to live in the life of the family. The gifts God has given you points us back to Jesus. You are just a tool in the hands of your creator for his glory. Amen? Can I pray for us? Let's pray. God, we have been created to bring you glory, and God, I'm so thankful for this passage that reveals to us how good and beautiful and awesome you are. God, I pray that we would learn to love you more and more. God, your word says that we love because you first loved us. God, you are the definition of love. You are love. So let us love one another as you have loved us. God, let's sacrifice some of our Sunday morning so that we can serve on a Connect team or uh, in the band or on an AVL team or in the kids' ministry because we want to make disciples who make disciples. God, I pray that when our neighbor is hurting, that we would go and show them the love of God. That when someone is being mean to us, that we would love them in spite of their anger or in spite of their hurt. God, that we would win over this world because of the way we love one another. God, I pray for our church. There are so many amazing things happening in the life of our church right now, God. And I just pray, God, that we would not lose sight of what you have called us to do, which is to make disciples of every man, woman, and child in this community. God, around us today, we know that there's only between four and 6% of our population that will attend any gospel-centered church today. That means, God, that there's over 90% of our population that does not have a church family that they can come to and meet and gather with and learn more about you with. God, I pray that we would be the ones that would go out and share your good news with them. God, for every single person that is here that is hurting and broken because of um, severed relationships or because of something that has been done to them, or because of an addiction, God, I pray right now that you do only what you can do and begin to stir affections in their hearts and their minds and that they would surrender their life to you knowing that you are the only way, the only truth, and the only life. God, may we just be tools in your powerful hands. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.